Friday. It's the last night of conference. Good to be here. All right, have a seat. I'm gonna have you get up again here in just a minute. This this ministry is 38 years old, and there's no one that has sacrificed more than my parents. And and uh, Pastor Carl, um, this, Pastor Carl and Sister Bonnie for 38 years they've been sacrificing. And you can look around the room, and not only in this room, but the hundreds of people literally around the world that are running with it because of their sacrifice. And I think we should give them a big round of applause. Can we do that? 38 years. 38 years. That's a long time. Come on. Let, let's do it. Come on. Amen. Yeah. Man. It's always great to be in the room with, 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 with this type of a group. And I know the people that are here tonight, you're here because you want to be here. You've given Jesus the weekend, and uh, you've come here. This is your fifth session in, in literally three days. Actually, two days and one night. And that's a, lot of, that's a lot of church. It takes some people that are really committed to want to, to go deeper with God to do something like what you've done this weekend. And I want to applaud you that you've made that your priority. There's something about when you put God first, when you make his house first, there's something that happens in your own house. And I was here last night and I was just blown away. I, sat, I was so blessed last night just to watch my son Jordan get up here. I had no idea he was gonna spill the beans on, 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 our, on our male Friedrich coming into the family, which we need. It's something that we've been talking about. We've got to make sure this happens. We need, we need to carry on the line, okay? So I put the pressure on Jordan. I said, come on, man, you gotta come through for me. This has to happen. And to hear him talk about how through a struggle that you stay consistent, you just stay consistent, you'll cut through. And, and just to attribute a miracle that's in Gina's womb today to the, the providence of God I, I, I celebrate that more. I almost celebrate that more that my children recognize and, and understand where our help comes from, comes from God. And then to hear Drew last night, it, it was too much for me. I, seriously, it was just too much for me. And, uh, and then Bryn, thanks a lot, man. You do that to me when I'm walking up here and that makes it even harder. So I, I have a, Drew, I've got the same lump in my throat that you had uh, last night. I've had that one uh, t as well. And so I wanna thank my family. I wanna thank my lovely wife. Wife. She's, the, she's the most amazing person. Amazing. Amazing. And we fought through a lot of stuff together. And we keep running with it. We just keep going. We're like Energizer Bunnies. We just keep, we just keep going. And so, so grateful. I'm grateful for our staff. Our staff has worked so hard uh, for this church to put on this conference. I'm grateful for every one of them. They, they're, they're just an amazing team. Our volunteers, everyone that's worked and come early and, and, and parked cars and made lattes and sat you down and cleaned this church. It's, it's just awesome. I want to thank EMSC, our worship band, for putting out that album. I love the album, man. I've been listening to it the whole week. It's been amazing. I've been just cranking that thing nonstop. I love, I love every song. There's a couple songs we didn't even play at the conference. I was a little upset about it, actually. I really wanted to hear Bold Escape. Did we do that? We didn't do that. We did? Which one didn't we do? The, the Rising of the Light. We have to keep doing that one. I like that one. Anyways, um, um, I, I want to thank you guys for all the hard work they put in. Luke Bogart, all the, all the work he, he did to make that happen. We're so grateful to have people like that in our church. Amen. 
And I want to thank everyone who spoke, everyone who was on this stage to impart something. I felt an impartation. I, I've, I've hung on every word, and I felt an impartation. Rex Crane, Israel Campbell, uh, I mean, Bryn, and the, and, and the little message short was, such a, was an impartation, I felt. I, I, I appreciated Drew's message last night. I've appreciated the, the interviews that Dave's had with Pastor Carl and Valentino and Bernard and, and, and Josh and Francie, and this morning hearing Josh speak, it's just been so enriching. I felt an impartation just sitting right there, hanging on every word, and I pray you have too. Amen. Let's get into this word because there's 82 slides tonight. That's very rare for me. That's a lot of slides, and so I'm going to have to go hot and aggressive. That's the only way it's going to happen tonight. Is that okay with you? It's going to have to come hot and aggressive, all right? So I'm going to lay a little introduction, and then we're just going to go for it. Is that all right with you? Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. Verse 2. The Lord said, write the vision, make it plain, so that he who reads it may run with it. Now, I think the thing that I recognize and I began to think about this conference and I began to think about this text is that I think we can relate to Habakkuk. I think every one of us can relate to him because he lived in times of revival. How many appreciate times like we're experiencing here, where it's just, you feel the presence of God. It's just so great to be in his house. He, he lived in revival. He, he knew the promises. He knew the word of God, but he also lived in a time of judgment, which I think we can recognize. I think we're experiencing that where, where, we, where we look and Habakkuk looked around his surroundings and all he saw was trouble and violence. He saw contention. He saw strife. And I'm sure it was confusing for him because he understood judgment. He understood that there's judgment for sin. There's judgment for wrongdoing, but he also knew the promises that God had made to his people. And so he's living kind of in the, in the middle of that. And so there was this massive contrast between what Habakkuk was believing God for and what he was actually seeing with his own eyes. And I think for us, it's the same, that it can be confusing even distressing to look around at our culture and see the rise of evil, the absence of morality, the surge of destruction, and all the while know there's a coming judgment for all of this. <laughs> I think we all recognize that, 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 man, if this continues to go this way, how long is God going to put up with it? Like, I'm not asking God, like, what are you going to do about it? I'm thinking, how long are you going to allow this to go on? How long are you going to put up with? When are you going to do something about this? How can we possibly, when I look around at, at, at culture and, and our, our society today, it sometimes it gets a little disheartening thinking, how in the world could we possibly even make a dent? <laughs> do you ever ask yourself that? Like, how in the world could we even make a dent in the chaos we're facing? And so I think this conference is similar, and Drew kind of laid that out last night, is that Habakkuk is placing himself on a rampart. A rampart is a defensive position. It's a place of safety. It's a picture of what we're doing here tonight. We're on a rampart. We're, we're in the house of God. Like, this is a safe place, and we're standing here, and we're believing that God will speak to us. We've come to hear from God, to see what he will say, and here's the thing. When you seek God, what he'll do is he'll bring into focus and provide vision for you for what's important and so here's the thing what I realized is that the most important thing is him 
it's really not that hard. It, it's really not that difficult. We've, we, we've come to this conference and been encouraged to run with it. Run with what? We've been encouraged to run with him. What are we running to? We're running to him. What's the promise? The promise is him. This is not about us. This is not for us. This is not to us. This is about him. It's about, it's for him and it's to him. Can somebody say amen tonight? So when we walk out of this place, we're walking out of here with him. That's what we're carrying. But the problem is this is that when we leave the place of safety, when we leave the rampart or that protective place, that defensive position, what happens is, is tomorrow you're not gonna be in this environment. <laughs> it's gonna look a lot different tomorrow. It's, not, it's, not gonna, it's gonna look a lot different than the vision you're carrying. When you step into your jobs, what do you do when what you see doesn't look like what God said? See, that's the question. See, tonight we're surrounded by partners. Like, come on, we're having a good time tonight, but tomorrow we're outnumbered. Does anybody agree with that? Like, we're outnumbered. Tomorrow, the odds are not in your favor. Actually, they're stacked against you. Tomorrow, you're going to feel like you're facing the world alone. But I want to thank God for his word, because there's nothing that you'll experience that isn't found in God's word. You'll discover it in his word, because it's our blueprint. What we've seen God before, God do before, we most assuredly will see him do again. Does anybody agree with that? And so here's what I need you to understand, and this has been a wrestle match for me, this message. Because I really felt that God gave me two texts, like totally different text. I mean, separated from, I'll show you, it's, 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 it's separated by 530 years. And it's separated by a lot of different things that they don't even seem to really connect. But I really felt like God gave me both of these texts for this conference. They're two different stories. There was two different thoughts I had and two totally different messages. I literally typed them both out. Thus, 82 slides. I typed them both out. And here's the thing. I viewed them as separate. But as I got into the preparation, I realized they're connected. And I'm going to try to help you see this tonight. And I'm going to have to work hard and work fast to get this out. But if I, think, I believe if you'll lean in, I believe God will do something in you tonight. I believe that he'll speak to you because I believe this is an important message for us at this time. So I'm going to preach a, a, a just a quick, uh, I'm going to put a nutshell around the first message that I prepared. And it was called, and it would have been called, Especially Jericho. And, and basically, the, the first text is, is, is surrounding Joshua and the people of God marching around Jericho's walls. And we know that Jericho would have been a massive test for God's people. It would have been the first city that they would have had to conquer when they went into the promised land. We know that Jericho represented a formidable enemy for God's people. It was a city that was corrupt. It was a city that was filled with perversion. It was filled with idolatry. It was filled with witchcraft. And because of this, God specifically told Joshua, you're going to take this city, but you're destroying everything in it. You can't take anything from it because I don't want it to corrupt you. You're, you're going you're to destroy it all. And so my, my, conf, my thought for the conference really had nothing to do with that. My, my thought for the conference was, was how did, how, it wasn't really the battle, but how they got to the battle. How did they get to the battle? How did they get there to accomplish what happened there? 
You see, I, I think if we look back at the story, we'd recognize that Joshua has just gotten done with the worst 40-year camping trip ever experienced on the face of the earth, all right? He's got an entire generation of complaining people that have been kind of following him, following him around, and all this complaining, it was so bad that it led to Moses and an entire generation being locked out of the promised land. It happened because of their complaining. And I, I think, well, why did that happen? Well, I think we have to think back to, to when Moses sent the 12 spies into the promised land. He sent 12 spies out and, and he told them, guys, I want you to go check this promise out. It's going to be amazing. I want you to go to the east. I want you to go all the way to the west. Go north, go south. I want, you to, I want you to see every city. I want you to tell me all the details. Tell me about the economy. Bring me back some of the food. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to see it all. So, so Moses spends, sends 12, 12 uh, spies to the land. And the complaining began because what they saw was so big. They went around and they saw the whole thing. They went from, from one boundary to the next. They saw every city. They brought back all the food. And, and they felt that the, what God had promised them, they were looking at how huge the promise was, and they thought, I'll never be able to achieve that. That's just, that's just too big. And, and because of this, they began to have a dialogue with God saying, you promised it, but I can't do it. That was, their, that was their dialogue, and because of that dialogue, it stuck them out of the promise. Now you fast forward to Joshua, and now it's time for him as the leader to take the people into the promise. And what's, what's interesting is he did kind of the same thing, just different. This time, he doesn't send 12 spies. He sends only two. And he says to them in Joshua chapter 2, 1, he says, I want you to go look over the land. And then he look what he says. He says, especially Jericho. And there was something about that that just kind of hit me. You see, when God told Joshua, I've given you the land, I think sometimes our expectation is different than God's. You know, I think when we think, when God says, hey, I'm going to give you the land, you're going to run with it, you're going to take in the vision, I think all of us, we get really excited about that. But, but our expectation of the promise is like a move-in ready, pre-built piece of land. Like, like, that's what the promise looks like. I, I made it to the promised land. What more could you possibly want, God? Like, like I made it to church. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I got out of bed, God. I'm here. I mean, what, what more do you expect? I, I wonder how much destiny goes untapped because you were expecting the finished product and there's work to do. You see, a promise isn't a guarantee. A promise is an invitation. It's an invitation to work. Zechariah 4.10, the Bible says, the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I rejoice the day my sons went to work. When they got their first job, I was so excited to see them go to work. And I think our God is the same way. When he looks at us and he, and, and he, and he sees us begin the work, it's exciting to him. And so here's Joshua. He knew that in order to get a vision for the promise, he would have to start somewhere. In order for him to, for him to acquire all that God had, he'd already seen it all. He was one of the original 12. But he realized that in order for, for, for them to acquire the promise, there was going to have to be a first step. And so he told those two spies, I want you to go look at the promised land, especially Jericho. What's your Jericho? 
You see, I think we leave this conference, we need a Jericho. We need a starting block. We need somewhere to begin. Some of us may have to adjust some of our priorities. Maybe some of our priorities at home or with our family or with our kids or or with our ministry. Maybe some of you, your Jericho is a personal temptation or personal sin that you need to deal with. Before you can run with the promise, you have to identify your Jericho. That's sermon number one in a nutshell. All right, praise the Lord for that. The next text that I had, it was in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 16 through 18. And this text actually takes place 530 years later. And it's the story, it's the face-off between the prophet Elijah and the most wicked king Ahab, his wife Jezebel, and 850 false prophets. Now imagine Elijah. Are you still tracking with me? Because we just totally fast forward, all right? Elijah, imagine the disparity Elijah must have felt as he tried to battle regional wickedness. I mean, he's dealing with some some crazy stuff. Judgment's being poured out. There's been famine and drought for three years. Everyone hates him. Everyone's against him. They're blaming him, pointing the finger at him. They're out to destroy him. And it reminds me of what we face at this time in our region, where we're outnumbered, where evil is rising, truth seems to be disappearing, compromise is abounding. And it would seem that the odds that he was up against, that there would be no way that he could possibly ever turn the tide yet we know the end of the story he challenges those 850 prophets as to a battle of the gods and in that moment God rains fire down from heaven 850 prophets prophets false prophets are executed Elijah has a vision of the abundance of rain the end of the drought he supernaturally ends up running past a chariot driven by the finest king's horses I love this story, 1 Kings 18. The Bible says that right, right, right in, that, in that particular context that, 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 that Elijah's servant said, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand coming out of the sea. And he said, well, go up and tell Ahab to prepare his chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And then the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. He girded up his loins and he ran ahead. And if you were here on Saturday, you heard Israel tell this story. He ran ahead of the chariot 17 miles at Olympic speed. Just crazy, crazy miracle. How was Elijah able to turn the tide on an evil empire so quickly? Because I think that's what we're up against. How was he able to outrun horses and chariots? I think as I began to think about this story, I realized this man had a vision. He saw that fist. He had a message of good news. It's about to rain. And he girded up his loins with the truth. And I'm going to just say this right here, that there's no power or principality or man-made system that can outrun a spirit-filled believer with vision and a message that's decided to run with it. Can I hear somebody say amen? That's sermon number two in a nutshell. And honestly, that was the sermon that I had decided to run with, no pun intended, because, because Elijah, I felt, lived in some unprecedented times for the people of God. And I believe that they're relatable to us. And what he saw, and I want to talk about what he saw, what he saw, I believe, is, is, is very comparable to what we're seeing today, here and now, in our culture. 
And I'm going I'm I'm to point those things out. The first thing that I think he saw is he saw the terrible destruction of disunity. He saw disunity. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 16, 21, that the people of Israel, who are God's people, were divided into two parts. And so here's God's people, long forgotten, were the exploits of marching into the promise. Long forgotten were the memories of fighting together to defeat the enemies of God. Long forgotten were the, were the, the times of taking territory and defeating giants and chasing promises and experiencing freedom. Now, instead of being led by God and provided for by God, they've actually turned away from God and instead of fighting the enemy, they're fighting each other. They're fighting each other. I think it's very true that if unity commands a blessing, that means disunity would command the opposite. That's why it's so important in the house of God, amongst the people of God, that we are in unity. That means when someone offends you and you're upset at them, you shouldn't hold it in, your, in, your, in yourself for months. And you shouldn't talk to everybody else about, you should go to them, you should repent. You should ask forgiveness. Why? Because unity commands a blessing. And if you're not in unity, you're in disunity. And disunity would command the opposite. We see that all throughout the Bible. Elijah would have also saw the advancement of corrupt leadership. In 1 Kings 16.30, the Bible says, Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any who were before him. Now, now here's the thing. Israel had long since abandoned God. They, they long since had asked for a king. They, were, they, they wanted a man to rule over them. And anytime you turn to man and in, instead of God, there's going to be some issues. And that's why we don't look to people to save us. We don't look to political parties to save us. We're not expecting an elected official to save us. We look to the only one who can, King Jesus. Somebody shout amen. So Israel up until this point has experienced a level of corruption, but it's nothing like they're facing right now. I think we can probably say the same thing here in our nation. Ahab had become their king, and the Bible says that he provoked the Lord's anger more than any previous king. How did he do that? Well, he did it by govern, government overreach, government-mandated uh, worship to false gods. He did that by stealing from citizens, which we're seeing today in, in our world. I mean, he saw corruption, the worst of the worst. What else did he see? He saw the indoctrination or the introduction of sexual perversion, wit, witchcraft, and forced compliance. We know that King Ahab married a wicked foreign witch by the name of Jezebel. Scripture actually talks about a spirit of Jezebel that's operating today. And so we'll have to get to that later. So, but Elijah here, he's dealing with Jezebel in the flesh. In the flesh, the most evil woman to walk the face of the earth, she's a Baal worshiper. And a lot of times we read about Baal worship, we don't even really understand what that means. It was the introduction to all kinds of sexual perversion. They would actually worship an idol in the form of a sex organ. And you figure out which one that would be. They would have male and female prostitutes working in the temple. Homosexuality, orgies, promiscuity were rampant at this time. God's people were called to be holy. And Jezebel created a religion of perversion. And what Jezebel instituted is actually very similar to what we're facing in America today. She led God's people to compromise. She infiltrated the church and she got them to worship Baal. 
Elijah also saw the horrors of child sacrifice. Jezebel was the one that would introduce child sacrifice. She's the originator of abortion and human trafficking, the sacrificing of innocent children at the altars of Baal and Moloch. We're seeing that happening in our world today. Elijah saw the removal of God's word and the silencing of the church. In, 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 in 1 Kings 18.4, the Bible says that Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. She rose to power. Why? Because she had assassinated the leaders of God's people. She, she took them out. All the pastors, leaders, and prophets that tried to stand up to her were put to death. Why would you put the leaders... Why would, you, why would you put them to death? There's only one reason that makes any sense. She was trying to silence the word of God in the nation. We're seeing that today. Elijah saw the defamation of the righteous. The Bible says that when Ahab saw Elijah, he said, is that you, O troubler of Israel? What was he doing? He was pointing at Elijah, the man of God, as the reason for all of the problems that were going on. He was pointing at the righteous man and saying, you're the problem. We're seeing that in America today. We're calling good evil and evil good. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so, so much of what Elijah was witnessing, we see today happening in our culture. And here's the thing, it's happening at an alarming rate. And as I think about it, I sometimes feel like, man, so outnumbered, overpowered, outgunned, like the odds are stacked in our favor. And do you wonder, like I do, how in the world how will we ever be able to catch up? So I decided, at this point, as I'm putting this together, I decided I'm going to use this text and not especially Jericho. Because I felt like it's so much more relatable to us with what we're facing right now, then Jericho would be. And so I'm going through and I'm typing this all out. I'm going through all the, the similarities that we're facing today, here and now. And then all of a sudden I came to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, and it says, in Ahab's day, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. Is anybody tracking with me today? I mean, I, I, all of a sudden, I'm like, what? What in the world is Jericho? Why is it back? What does Jericho have to do with this? Why would a king, I want you to think about this for a moment. Why would a king, Ahab was a king over God's people. Why would a king of God's people resurrect a cursed city like Jericho? Why would Ahab want to bring back the very thing that stood in opposition to the promise? Why would he even consider rebuilding something so, so unbelievably wicked? And then it hit me. Elijah wasn't up against just Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel. Elijah was up against Jericho again. These two stories, these two texts are related only this time. Track with me. Everything that was behind those walls at Jericho was now inside the walls of God's people. See, the first Jericho was about keeping God's people out. The second Jericho was about locking God's people in. Joshua 6.1, Jericho was securely shut up. No one went out and none came in. You see, when a city operates in fear, 
it ceases to be a place of freedom and innovation. When a church operates in fear, it hangs on to what is instead of pursuing what's next. When a believer operates in fear, life becomes small, faith becomes empty, and vision ceases to exist. You see, you're a gate. This church is a gate. Our influence is a gate, and people are waiting on the other side of your obedience. And fear causes your gates to be shut. It causes your opportunities to be stopped. It causes your provision to dry up. And everything within the gate slowly begins to die, and all of the resources begin to disappear. You can't run with it when you're locked in. Did you hear that? You can't run with it when you're locked in. No one came out. No one went in. And this is exactly what Elijah sees happening. As I began to continue on, I realized in 1 Kings 18, he, he's, he sees God's people in hiding because, because, because uh, where is it at? The Bible says that Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord and, and all of the other prophets were hidden in a cave. There was hundreds of them in a cave. Why? Because they were afraid to be outed. They were afraid for their lives. They were unable to stand up and to speak out. So here's Elijah. He feels like he's all alone. He's got no backup. He's the only one speaking the truth. He must have felt so alone. He said so in 1 Kings 18. He says, I alone am left as a prophet of the Lord. See, Elijah was there. He would have witnessed the compromise in the church. How do you know he saw a compromise? Well, because when he went to face off against, against the prophets of Baal, he approached all the people, the Bible says in verse 21, and he says this, he says, he, he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. You see, sometimes we read this story and we picture the man of God against the wickedness. We picture the man of God against all the bad folks. We picture the man of God against all of the people on the outside. Are you with me today? But Elijah is speaking to God's people. <laughs> he's talking to the people of God. He's saying, how long are you going to go back and forth between two opinions? He's calling out Baal worship and he's addressing believers. He's addressing God's people that they're going back and forth between two opinions, one foot in and one foot out, agreeing with God, but also worshiping Baal. I can worship God and still make sacrifices to Baal. See what was happening then is happening now. And I think it's a script for the battle that we're in. And let me tell you what the battle is. It's a war for your worship. It's an attack on your purity. Paul warns the church in Ephesians 5. He says, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality of, or any kind of impurity or any greed, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, immoral impure, or greedy person has any inheritance into the kingdom. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because 
of such a things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Verse 8, for you were once in darkness, but now you're in the light. That's a little reminder right there. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. Verse 12, it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. See, I look around. Oh, you clap all you want. I'm just getting started. I look around at what's happening and sadly, the church has become complicit. We've become numb to the things that God hates. We begin to tolerate the ingesting of perversion. Doesn't it seem like every television show has to glamorize sexual deviance, normalizing homosexual relationships, extramarital affairs, and one night stands? Where you can be a bachelor or a bachelorette and you can try everyone out and the people of the church will get their popcorn and can't wait to find out who accepts the next rose. And some of you are like, oh, come on, Pastor Adam. Don't you think that might be a little too preachy? No, nah, it's Baal. It's a world religion and it wants your worship. It demands your attention. And it's not just across your TV screen. Is anybody listening to me tonight? It has direct access to your phone. That direct access is into your life at any time with perversion. Let me tell you something, social media, as good as it is for so many different reasons, there's all kinds of images and ads and direct messages that are designed to take you out. And if you, go, if you just click one time, it's like Pandora's box, that algorithm will chase you down. Are you with me today? It's called the lust of the eye. That's what it's called. And Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Let me paraphrase that for our times. If your iPhone causes you to sin, <laughs> cast it out. Oh, I'm being too preachy, right? I'm being too preachy, but the world is teaching three-year-olds that they can choose their gender. I'm too preachy, though. We can't see a PG movie without the indoctrination of perversion. We watch Buzz Lightyear and have to explain same-sex attraction to our first grader. A few years ago, it was about pride parades. Now we're bringing our children to them. Now we got half-naked people dancing in front of children with strip club days and children at trans bars twerking in the face of children. But I'm being too preachy. School libraries, public school libraries filled with pornography paid for by your tax dollars. But I'm being too preachy. Because, because here's the thing, if you say anything about it, then, then, then you're hateful. Last week, our president said that if we were to try and protect children from gender modification surgery, I mean, it would be sinful and cruel. But I'm being too preachy. They're performing hysterectomies and double mastectomies on teens without their parents' permission. Pride Month is coming. It's just right around the corner. It's a month-long worship of Baal. You won't be able to order a coffee, get your groceries, or order something on Amazon without tripping over rainbow flags everywhere you go. 
your workplace is going to put you through HR training on pronouns just so that you won't offend someone who's determined to lie about their identity. We've got students in this city, at high school in this city, this is confirmed by someone who works there, that's demanding to be identified as a cat. The faculty doesn't know what to do about it. How should we respond? But, but I can't be too preachy because we don't want to offend anyone. You know, we don't want to push our religion on anyone. It's almost like everybody can have an opinion except for Christians. You know, so maybe I should identify as a female swimmer so I can have an opinion. Isn't it, isn't it crazy like how everyone knows what a woman is until we overturn Roe v. Wade? All of a sudden, everybody knows what a woman is did, what, what a woman is. Let me help you define what a woman is. A woman is the one with a womb, okay? If anyone ever asks you, a woman has a womb. I think that's why it's woman, woman. They have a womb, okay? That's, that separates them. And the reason there's such a war on this, this shouldn't be rocket science, <laughs> right? Like this shouldn't be rocket science, but there's a reason there's a war on this is, is, is because there's a war for the future. <laughs> if you don't know that abortion is wrong, can I tell you, you, you don't know God. You, you're not in relationship with God. Well, well, well wait a second, Pastor Adam, I, I believe abortion is wrong, and, but, but, but what if there's rape? Or, or, or incest, or, or, or what if there's a hardship on, 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 the, on the woman? Like, like we don't want her, the rest of her life to be... To be. That's a lie. That, that, that's, that's bail. Can, can you give me one scripture in the word of God that would back up that stance? And the answer is, no, you can't. Why? Because it's not God's stance. That's not God's stance. Here's a rule of thumb as you grow in Christ. If wicked world leaders, corrupt politicians, evil celebrities, and the church of Satan agree with your stance on anything, you're on the wrong side. All right, I'm just getting started here. Jeremiah chapter one lays it out. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I am so excited that they're, they're, they're talking now about abolishing the abortion pill. I think we should celebrate that like there's no tomorrow. I think we should pray. We should bombard heaven. God, let that pass. I don't care how pissed off people get about it. I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to post about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say victory is ours. Come on, Gavin Newsom, <laughs> come on. It, if we can get rid of that thing, he can't do nothing about it. We just won't offer it in this nation. 53% of abortions are from that dumb pill. Let's get rid of that thing once and for all. Come on, can we do that? So, listen, if the enemy wants to destroy purpose and steal promise, it will always go after the womb. There's a war on the identity because if he can win that war, he gets the future. You gotta understand that. Meanwhile, Christians, we're in a cave and we're arguing with each other about this. <laughs> Let's be honest, man. The church has been exposed. We, we're either compromised or we're cowards. 
Elijah's calling him out. He's saying, how long will you go back and forth? How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you remain silent? Well, pastor, you know, isn't that hateful? Uh, isn't that mean? Isn't that not Christ-like? Um, no, it's actually you raising your voice against sin. That's all it is. You pretend you're loving by not saying anything when actually you've become tolerant. And can I tell you, tolerance is not a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> the world told us about tolerance. I grew up in high school hearing all about tolerance, not really understanding that was an agenda from hell just to, just to set us up so we'd willingly adapt to this sexual agenda that's been thrown our way. It was 10 years of indoctrination so you would just be a silent Christian. And you just kind of tolerate because that's what good people, loving people do. They've got you turning the other cheek. Not to people. They've got you turning the other cheek to demonic principalities and powers. We've, we've become tolerant and we've called it lovingly. Meanwhile, our friends, our family, our coworkers, and students that we, that we go to school with are marching to hell unaware. And Jesus said this would happen. He talked to the church in Revelation chapter two and he says, I have this against you. And he's talking to the church. He says, you have tolerated this woman, Jezebel. You've tolerated sexual perversion. You've tolerated this seductive spirit and Jezebel now has control over you. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. That lukewarm, spit you out, compromised pronoun in your bio, church. And I can't believe Pastor Adam wouldn't say those things. I, I came to this conference to hear how I can live my best life now. You know, the, th the thing is, is, I think a lot of times we, we've, we've, we've become so accustomed to that tickling ears preaching. It tells people what they want to hear without addressing real issues of the heart. And Paul tells us that's the fastest way that you can lose your anointing. He says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Am I trying to please people? If I was trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Can I tell you the moment I start working for you, I stop working for him. I have some points to this, but I just got to get this out. I know, I know some of you might find this hard to believe, but there's things that I've said. There's letters I've written, posts I've shared that have upset people. <laughs> I, know, I know you can't believe that. I, people have actually accused me of being unloving and they've left our church. People have threatened to leave our church because of a particular stance. I'm gonna tell you something. I need you to understand something. Are you ready for this? I'm not auditioning to be your pastor. This isn't a tryout for you. Like on Sundays, I'm not trying out for you. I'm on, I'm, I'm on assignment from God to lead in this hour. I want God to like me more than I want you to like me. Did you hear that? And scriptures actually warn that you'll be hated, you'll be persecuted, and you'll be lied about. Woe to you, the Bible says, if everyone speaks well of you. So bring the haters on. I'm not surprised at all that the fingers pointed at me or at the church because they pointed to Elijah in this text as the troubler of Israel. And I'm here today to tell you there's a Jericho-sized war going on, and it feels like the enemy has an insurmountable lead. We are woefully outnumbered, just like Elijah was, 850 to 1. It's an impenetrable wall that is tightly shut up, but the tides can change in an instant for the people of God. Do you believe that?
Here's the thing. Both these stories end so differently than how they began. And if God did it before, he can do it again. It sets a precedent. And so what changed in these texts? What changed in these stories? Because in both texts, there's so, so many similarities. I want you to see this. This blew my mind. And I think it's the, it's the ingredients for us to take territory now. What Joshua did and what Elijah did are a key to us of what we should do at this time. The first thing I saw that both men did is they built an altar and repaired their worship. In Joshua chapter four, the Bible says that Joshua called together the 12 men he'd chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all. Somebody say 12 stones. Remember that. We're going to use these stones to build a memorial, and in the future, your children are going to ask you, what do these stones mean? And you'll tell them, they remind us that the Jordan of River stopped flowing. It reminds us of the promise. These stones will stand as a, a memorial among the people of Israel forever. 530 years later, Elijah's on the scene. First Kings chapter 18, he's facing off against these guys. Elijah took... He took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. I just found this so crazy. It's a picture of unity. Because the, the nation was divided. It was 10 and 2. And now all of a sudden, he says, I want 12 stones. Because we're, we're in this together. I, I just love that. And then the Bible says, then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. You see, generations apart, 530 years apart, they did the exact same thing, almost to the T. First, they repaired worship. They repaired the altars of their worship. Let me tell you something. Your enemy hates worship. The first way he takes you out is he steals your worship. He works overtime to get you to worship anything other than the, uh, the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He'll get you worshiping your house, your car, your wife, your kids, your team, pleasures, television shows, comfort. And these men realize that's exactly what was going on. They realize that without God, there is no promise. And your worship is what invites God into your atmosphere. The Bible says in, in, in Psalm 22 that God inhabits or lives in the praises of his people. And so when your worship is correct, God is there. So they built an altar. They repaired their worship. The second thing I see that they did is they circumcised and exorcised. Either way, they cut off the head. All right, either way. All right, circumcise and exercise. Joshua 5. Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of, of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. Joshua recognized that what was keeping God's people out, locked out of the promise, anything that was in the way of that had to go. And, and the question is, well, what was keeping the people out of the promise? It was everything that what they had learned. It was everything they had been taught. They, they, these people had been raised in Egypt. They'd been raised by a bunch of complainers. They'd been taught in Egypt. They had a slavery mindset. And Joshua understood if they're going to take the, pri the promise, that mindset has to go. 
And so they had to be identified not as a slave, but they had to be identified as a son. And sometimes you have to take extreme measures to identify yourself as a son. And circumcision was that covenant requirement that God had for his people. That every male would be circumcised and it would be a sign that they're not part of the world, that they are identified as a child of God. And that Egyptian mindset was on them because they were not circumcised. They were wandering around in the wilderness complaining they were detached from a personal relationship with God. And so Joshua says, we've got to, it was locking them in. That mindset was locking, locking people in, into compromise, locking them to think they couldn't do it. And so it had to go. And so circumcision happened. Elijah had a similar problem. He had to exorcise what was locking people in. He had to exorcise sin and compromise and idolatry. So what had to die on the altar? You see, we think it's a bull. Now that was just worship. We, we think it was a bull that had to go. That's what, that's what God lit up. But that's, that's not what, what he sacrificed near that altar. It was, it was the 850 prophets of Baal that had to go. Because those prophets were the competing voices against God. They were the liars that were spewing the anti-religion. They were the ones that were prophesying a false religion. Are you with me today? So in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah puts the wood in order. He cuts the bowl in pieces. He lays it on the altar. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. But the sacrificing wasn't over because in verse 40, Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah executed them there. I think some of us need to get out a knife sharpener. We need to either circumcise or exorcise. We need to circumcise the lies of the past. We need to circumcise all the things. You need to cut that stuff off of your life. The lies of the enemy that try to tell you that because of what you did, because of what you're a part of, because of where you came from, that you're not, you can't have the promise, that needs to be circumcised. We need to cut it off today. We need, we need to roll that away today. And, and some of us, we need to do some exorcism in this place. We need to exorcise those competing voices. The Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because once you eliminate those competing voices, you'll be able to, number three, hear what God says, see what God sees, and say what God says. Because the very next thing that happens, Joshua, the Bible says in, 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 in chapter six, verse two, that as soon as they got done circumcising, the Lord said to Joshua, God met with him instantly. And he said, see, I have given Jericho into your hands, its king and its mighty men of valor. God was basically telling Joshua right here that Jericho has been delivered to you before the battle even began. And now Joshua is simply, listen to this, he's simply being invited to catch up to where God already is. 
The battle's already been won. Now, now all, he's, all God's inviting Joshua to do is to catch up to where God already is. And now because the reproach has been rolled away, now he can hear and he can see and he can say what God says. And so what does he do? It's already been delivered. It's already been done. The victory is already established. Listen, when the battle belongs to the Lord, you can't lose. Why? Because it's not your reputation on the line. It's his reputation on the line. It's not, it's your, your miracle. It's not, it's, not, it's not your reputation on the line. It's his. Your miracle has already been delivered. Somebody shout amen. Your victory has already been delivered. Your breakthrough, it's already yours. Because when a miracle happens, it's not God catching up to where we are. No, it's us catching up to where he already is. It's his will already. Are you with me today? In Ahab's, in, in Elijah's story, in 1 Kings 18, 38, Elijah says, and listen, man, this is right after they, they murder all these 850 guys. You got 850 guys dead on the altar. And now all of a sudden, like the very next thing, Elijah says, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Once he exorcised, once he got rid of those competing voices, come on, we all have them. Once he got killed those guys off, all of a sudden, now he can hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Now that those false prophets are done and gone, now all of a sudden he could see, he could hear, and now he could say, which brings me to the last point was we run with it. Joshua 6. Now he's got some instructions. God says, you're going to march around the city for six days. How many days? And then seven priests. How many? And seven shall bear seven trumpets. How many trumpets? And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. I think it's interesting that... The number six and the number seven are used in this particular text because six is the number of man. We know man was created on the sixth day. Isn't that right? But seven is the number of God's completion because we know that God's rested on the seventh day. And so here's in this instruction, these are the marching orders. This is what, this is what Joshua and the people of God are, are running with. Now the marching orders includes both of these numbers for a reason. He says, I want you to march around the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, take seven priests, march around seven times, and blow those seven trumpets, and God's going to give you the victory. And I think what God's trying to tell us is that every miracle involves both human and divine responsibilities. Is we know that God definitely has a part to play. Like in order for it to be a miracle, we need God. Can anybody say amen to that? We, we, we need God. God definitely has a part to play, but here's the thing. Man does as well. I mean, you can look at every miracle in Scripture and you'll recognize that, that Jesus always asks for a responsibility, a response from a human being. He said, stretch out your hand. He says, pick up your mat. He says, step out of the boat. Rise to your feet. Open your eyes. Speak to that mountain. Wash in the river. Give and it will be given to you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Like all of the miracles in the Bible require something from man and also require something from God. You know, a lot of times I think, well, why can't God, like, God, if you're going to put the walls down anyways, just do it. Like, why do we got to march around? Listen, the reason is, is because God is looking for partners. He's looking for partners and you're one of them. There's, there's nothing anointed about a trumpet. 
You ever read this story and you're like, you know, that's, that's how I picture it. I mean, there's nothing great about a trumpet, but let me tell you what is anointed, a priest. There isn't anything anointed about a harp, but when David played it, demons fleed. There's nothing anointed about a construction job or, or making coffee or, or being at home with your kids or teaching at a school or selling insurance. None of that stuff is anointed, but there's something anointed about a person who views their vocation as a kingdom initiative. And here's the thing, the anointing doesn't rest on the task, it resides inside of a person. Did you hear that today? Which means I'm anointed at home and I'm anointed at work. I'm anointed on the highways, I'm anointed in the byways. I'm anointed in the city, I'm anointed in the country because the anointing isn't what I do, it's who I am. It's not the object, it's the person. And it's the person that causes the object to have a purpose. And so when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and they shouted with a great shout, the wall fell down flat and the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. You know, the, you know that the historians, I was reading about this, the historians actually dug up the walls and they found something interesting. That when the, the walls of Jericho collapsed, they say that it, it appears that they collapsed in on the city. A lot of times we think, well, these just got pressed down. Like all of a sudden, you know, it was just like your, your garage door, like just comes down. Like that's how I pictured it my whole life. But they said that they actually just kind of, they kind of collapsed on the city. Are you with me today? Are you hearing that? And, 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 and what happened is, is because of that, it actually created a natural bridge. And so when the, the people of God marched into the city, it kind of like took out most of their battle because they didn't have to deal with all the outskirts stuff. It actually collapsed on that and gave them a natural bridge right into the heart of Jericho, which tells me this, that what has opposed you is gonna become your stepping stone. Psalm 110 says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's why there's no attack from the enemy that can prosper against your life. Because the best that Satan's got just becomes a stepping stone into your future. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God places you on a rock that is higher than I. He lifts up a standard. When the enemy tries to throw everything at you, he tries to throw everything at your family, all it does is becomes a foundation for you to walk right past the enemy, right past his gates, into the heart of the city, and you can win and prosper. Somebody say amen. You can plunder what already belongs to you. You see, what's your Jericho? I think, I think when you look at these stories, both Joshua and Elijah took down the Jericho of their day. And how did they do it? They repaired their worship. They circumcised and exercised. They, they got rid of those past thoughts. They removed the competing voices and because they did that, they could hear, see, and say what God says. And once you hear what God says, you can run with it. I, I wanna show you how fast God can turn the tides. I need you to really focus, okay? What's gonna happen right now is a couple musicians are gonna come up behind me. It's okay, it happens every service. Don't be distracted. 
Okay, Elijah has this confrontation moment. 850 false prophets of Baal. He's, 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 he's battling these guys. And he says, if your God is God, ask your God to send fire from heaven. And they did. They tried all day. Nothing happened. There's all kinds of joking that, that Elijah was doing, making fun of him, all that stuff. And then Elijah says, all right, enough. You're done. Step aside. He goes, now I'm going to call on my God. And we know that fire fell from heaven and consumed a sacrifice that shouldn't have burned. And here's the thing, it wasn't, this isn't like some allegorical story. This literally happened. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we, we, we don't recognize, no, this actually happened. This is something that, they, that, that people saw or were part of. He called on God, God answered by fire, and then they put 850 prophet, false prophets to death. And so here's what's happened. Now all of the waffling between two opinions has been dealt with. It's been dealt with. Now worship has been restored. How do you know that? Because verse 39 says that all the people fell on their faces and they said, the Lord is God. We're done. The Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. And because their worship was repaired, the competing voices were eliminated. Now Elijah could hear from God. And what was God doing? This is what you got to catch. What was God doing in this moment? He was restoring blessing. He was, he was bringing salvation. And so all of a sudden, Elijah knew it. He, he could hear it. He, he could feel it. Now he has vision. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Blessing is coming. Revival is here. I want to stop with this real quick. A lot of times we've been hearing about this Asbury revival. And we think, well, it just happened because, you know, some, some kids got together at college band to worship the Lord, and it just kind of grew, and that's kind of how it happened. But that's not really how it happened. It was, just a, it was just a group of kids that decided to stay after chapel. And they just began, they were just in, caught up in worship. Just a few. They just began to worship. One of the kids that was there was worshiping with them. And it was just an amazing atmosphere. He didn't want to leave it, but he had a class. So he, he excused himself from that worship session and went to his class. came out of the class he's walking by the chapel and he hears the singing like it's still going on he peeks his head in and there's more there's more kids there he walks in he feels the presence of God like he's never felt God before he begins to worship for a few minutes longer then he grabs one of his friends let's go get everybody and he tells the story and he begins to run classroom to classroom to classroom and all they did is they ran in the room they opened the door and they said revival is here and they closed the door and they ran to the next class revival is here closed the door they ran to the next class all of a sudden kids started coming out of the classrooms they started funneling toward that place of revival where they began to worship non-stop for weeks Elijah says, I hear the sound. What was he saying? He was saying, revival is here. The drought is over. This is good news. And the message of the good news, it planted itself inside Elijah so deep that he can't wait for a chariot to deliver the news. He says, they're going to take too long. He begins to run with it. And we know that he, un, he outruns the finest chariot 
pulled by the finest horses. He keeps running. He keeps running and God says, Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 others. There's 7,000 others that haven't, haven't, haven't bowed to that prophet Baal. He keeps running and God, God leads him to the prophet Elijah who he anoints as the next prophet who's gonna, who's gonna do double the amount of miracles. He's gonna have a double portion anointing. Elijah keeps running. And God points out a young man by the name of Jehu. And he says, I want you to, I want you to anoint him the next king of Israel. And now both Elijah and Elisha and Jehu, they're running with the message. They're running with it. And in 2 Kings, I want you to, I want you to see what happens. Because the vision wouldn't end with Elijah. It would continue. 2 Kings 9, when Jezebel heard that Jehu had come, she painted her eyelids and fixed her hair and sat at a window. And when Jehu entered the gate, she shouted at him, have you come in peace, you murderer? And Jehu looked up at her and saw her in the window and said, who's on the Lord's side? Two eunuchs looked out the window and he said, throw her down. So they threw her out the window and her blood splattered against the wall and on the horses. And then Jehu trampled her body under his horse's hoofs. And then Jehu went into her palace and ate all of her food. And then he said, someone go bury that cursed woman because she's the daughter of a king. But when they went out to bury her, they found only her skull, her feet, and her hands. And then when they returned and told Jehu, look at this. You, you went way ahead of me. I want you guys to really see this. Verse 36. When they returned and told Jehu, he stated, this fulfills the message from the Lord, which he spoke through his servant, Elijah. What was that message? Where did it start? It was the message that he was running with. It was the message that Jezebel's going down. We're gonna annihilate her to the point, and I, I want you to understand, this is pretty amazing. We're gonna annihilate her to the point that we can't even memorialize her. Her memory's gonna be wiped off the, the, the planet. Look what it says in 2 Kings. It says that Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. So Elijah's message, the message of good news that he willingly carried, that he began to run with past horses and chariots, because of that message of good news, Jezebel and her wicked and perverted and sexualized controlling religion that an entire nation was falling, that had all of the prophets and churchgoers in hiding, that Jezebel that had wreaked havoc on the people of God. Let me tell you something, that woman, that spirit is no match for a man or a woman of God that has a message and has decided, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to run with it. 
Let me tell you something. We may be outnumbered. Is anybody listening to me today? Because I'm done. We may be outnumbered. We may, may be outgunned. The odds may be forever stacked against us. And we may think, how could we ever possibly overcome? How could we make a dent? How could we make a difference? I'll tell you how. Repair your worship. Come on, I'm looking for some worshipers for you tonight. I'm looking for some worshipers tonight. I'm not talking about the chosen few that always come to the front. I'm talking about you in the back. I'm talking about you in the back. Come on, we got to repair our worship. Come on, we got to repair our worship. How could they ever overcome? They had to get rid of those thoughts from the past. They had to circumcise the past. All those excuses that were keeping them from the promise, they had to cut them off. Some of you right now, you need to cut it off right now. You need to right now, you need to circumcise it. Bring it to the altar. Come on. Come on, sharpen those knives and bring it to the altar. Listen, yeah, you went through some hard things. Yeah, you had a hard life. Yeah, you had a, you had a bad upbringing. Yeah, you made some serious mistakes. Yeah, how in the world can you ever get past that? I'll tell you how. Circumcise it. Cut it off. Cut it off. Renew your mind today and recognize that your identity is not what you did. It's not who you were. It's who you are. It's the person that God's... He calls you a child. He calls you a son and a daughter of God. Circumcise that past. Some of you need to exercise some false prophets. You need, to, you need to circumcise them. It's those competing voices. It's those voices that say, ah, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Uh, at least I'm doing better than sister so-and-so. Come on, I'm at church every Sunday. I follow Pastor Adam on Instagram. Listen, now all that stuff doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it, man. Especially when you have competing voices. And God's saying, listen, if you'll know my promise, if you'll get in my word, if you'll, if you'll speak to me, if you'll develop a relationship with me, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can, you'll be able to hear, you'll be able to see, and you'll be able to say what I say. But we're, we're stuck on our, our feed and scrolling and watching TV and, and absorbing all kinds of crap. You think, well, I'll be at church this Sunday and I'll be okay. Listen, you're, not, you're never going to run anywhere. You're gonna run in circles. You're gonna end up blaming God. You're gonna backslide and leave the church. You're gonna end offended by Pastor Adam or someone else in this place. That's what's gonna happen. You gotta exercise those competing spirits and listen to the voice of God and his, his voice only. Come on, somebody right now in this room, you got some competing voices. They're, they're, they're begging you for your time. They're begging you for your energy. They're begging for your attention. Some of us need to, we need to kill those things today. Come on, we need to kill those things today. How many, how many have some things in your life you need to kill? You need to kill, come on, bring it to the altar. Bring it to the altar right now, come on. Bring it to the altar. Let's sacrifice it, let's exorcise it. We're gonna have an exorcism here at church tonight. Is that all right? Come on, we're gonna kill some stuff. We're gonna get rid of some stuff, come on. Come on, how many right now, you know in your life, you gotta kill some stuff. Let me see your hands, come on everyone. Come on, come on. if you're raising your hands and you're not at this altar, you're making a mistake. Come on down to this altar. Let's handle it right now. Let's handle our business in the altar tonight. Why are we afraid of the altar? This is where the presence of God is. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, don't, don't hesitate. Participate. Come on. Let's bring it to the Lord. We're going to exercise those competing voices tonight. And guess what's going to happen? 
God's gonna, 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 gonna begin to speak to us. He's gonna begin to show us, and he's gonna begin, we're gonna be able to hear what he has to say. We're gonna see what he sees, and we're gonna begin to say it ourselves. Are you ready for that today? Come on, can we just pray? I just want the, the band, I want you just to play some music, and I wanna release you right now. Come on, whatever you need to do. If you need to repair some worship, take care of it right now. Come on, just call out on God. If you need to exercise some stuff or circumcise some stuff, I want you to handle your business right now. Let's bring it to the altar and get rid of it once and for all. Come on, once and for all. Once and for all. It's the only way we're going to defeat this enemy, guys. Come on, we got to do it. Repair your worship. Come on. Come on, I'm releasing you. Come on, someone needs to cry out. We need to use our voice. Come on, we need to speak it out loud. Come on, I'm looking for some people not to be looking around. I'm looking for some people that have some war in their spirit. Come on, there's a world that's dying and going to hell in a handbasket, and the people of God are silent. Come on, we need to war a little bit. Let's go. looking for some contenders in here come on people say I'm gonna contend right now I'm getting it tonight oh thank you Lord. come on come on get louder now come on get louder now let's listen Let's lift our voice to Jesus. Come on. Keep Jesus. We call on your spirit. All fall in this place, Lord. All plant inside of us the good news. Oh, Jesus of salvation to this world. Jesus, we worship you, Lord. You're the only one. You're the one I adore. You're the one I pray. Come on, why'd you stop? Why'd you stop? Come on, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Come on, cry out to God right now. We don't need a band to cry out to God. Come on. Come on, some of you are afraid. Come on, I want you to war right now. I want you to fight through right now. Fight through the insecurity right now. Come on, fight through. Fight through. Come on, call on God right now. Oh, Jesus, we're asking you, God. Answer us, Lord. Oh, we're standing on the rampart waiting to see what you will say. Oh, speak to us, Lord. 
Speak to us, Lord. Send us revival in this day, God. God, we will be your servants, Lord. Come on, tell them I'll, I'll serve you, God. I'll serve you, God. I'll stand up, I'll speak out. I'll share the good news, Lord. Everywhere I go, God, I'll be a carrier. Come on, come on, make that your prayer right now. Say, I'll carry it, God. I'll run with it. Lord, plant the good news. Plant your spirit. Ask him for his spirit, God.
Little real talk. Can we can we do real talk? I was, you know, we're getting ready for this this uh, conference, and um, you know we love this church so much. Just I just want you to know how much we love pastoring and loving and leading and providing vision and leadership. We love it. We love it. There's nothing we'd rather do. But you know. My parents and I, we decided we, you know, we, we were next door neighbors, if you didn't know that. And uh, like really, we're, we live next door to each other. 
and we had this dream like we're gonna we're gonna connect our our backyards super cool idea and the whole plan was is this all was gonna happen we'd be done by March 8th everything this is like a pretty major deal and um, we got started on it and just rain like it's supposed to be done March 8th and here we are and there's like they're saying uh, it's not gonna happen till April but in this whole process when I should be preparing for this conference my mind was so wrapped in this stupid project I'm excited about it I'm not gonna lie but all my thoughts I was consumed with this getting done and that getting done and this contractor needs to be here and why is it raining and what am I gonna do and what about my plants and what about my grass it's so dirty in my house my I couldn't concentrate on this conference at all and I honestly almost didn't recognize it it was just these competing voices just vying for my attention and I couldn't think I could still perform the duties as your pastor I was still here at the office I'd write sermons I'm, I'm doing all that but I wanted to hear from God I know a lot of you guys are like hey you're losing a lot of weight how much weight have you lost man you're looking pretty good I have lost a lot of weight but I haven't eaten for 30 days because I realized something has to die here it's gonna be my flesh it's gonna be my flesh I'm tired of this I'm not gonna worry about this anymore it's gonna get done we're gonna have a connected backyard dad I promise it's gonna happen but it's not gonna get in the way in what we're doing for God you can't My wife's been worried about me. Everybody's worried about me. Look, I'm fine. I have never felt more connected. I, all of a sudden, God's word just starts, boom, just starts popping out of its text. All of a sudden, I'm seeing things I've never seen before. I feel God speaking to me in new ways. All the, I'm busting out of the, ask my gym partners. I'm busting out early in the morning, wide awake, ready to hear from God. Like, I'm, this, I'm just on this, like, spiritual climb, and I realize, I've eliminated those voices, those competing, they're not there anymore. And so now, hold on, now I can hear, I can see, and now today I can say. And I'm, it's not a trick for a pastor, it's a principle for us. And I'm telling you, sometimes we've got to take drastic measures. To identify who we are listen I don't care about my backyard I care about souls I care about people I care about ministry I care about this county I care about the schools around it. I care about this stuff and all of a sudden I realized what am I doing what is wrong with you some of you you need to take inventory I just came to Jesus for you some of you need to take inventory right now. What in your life needs to die? Like, what do you need to right now put on the altar and sacrifice? And say, so, you know what? That is stopping me 
from hearing, seeing, and saying. Whatever is in the way of you hearing from God, kill it. Kill it. Kill your flesh and watch your spirit burst out in ways you never imagined. Come on, lift your hands all over this place. Come on, somebody make a decision what you're going to do right now. Oh, Jesus, right now. Right now. Right now. Some of you, it's your money. is controlling you. Kill it. Money can't control you. You control it. It doesn't tell you what to do. You tell it what to do. Come on, right now, kill it. Murder it right now. Sacrifice it, God, in Jesus' name. Lord, your people, we love you. God, we're, we're committed to you. God, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. We want to see it happen on earth, Lord, like it'll happen in heaven. I pray, Lord, that we would be a part of that. We want to be a part of that. And so, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, in the hearts, in the minds, in the soul of your people here tonight, I pray that there would be a courageous spirit, a bold spirit, Lord, that wouldn't put up with the lies, the perversion, the indoctrination of this society, but instead of complaining about it and talking about it, we would rise above it. We would hear the good news, Lord, that we wouldn't, we would catch up to where you're already at. Lord, revival is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He's in my heart. He's everywhere I go. I got nothing to complain about when I've got Jesus in here when Jesus is in here you can hear you can see and you can say what he says God in Jesus name empower your people come on make a decision right now come on make a decision right now what are you gonna do what are you gonna do there's some there's some there's some streaming services somebody needs to cancel there's some there's some social media accounts that need to be deleted do you know what I'm talking about? There's some shows that need to be uh, uh, eliminated from your life, okay? It just needs to happen. Somebody needs to sacrifice that right now at the altar. You need to give it to God. There's some thought process that need to go. There's some thought process. There's some forgiveness that needs to happen. I believe in this room right now, there is some bitterness towards brothers and sisters that needs to be dealt with tonight. Do not leave this room if you have unforgiveness against a brother or a sister. It is, it, is, it is causing a blessing not to flow. You are stopping revival just with that. Come on, tonight I want you to go to the brother, the sister that has wronged you. If it's me, line up at the steps when the service is over and tell me everything I've ever done. That's the best thing that you could do. Forgive me and move on. Let's have some unity and let's do what God's called us to do. Come on, what are you going to eliminate? What's your Jericho? What's your Jericho? Come on, identify the Jericho to your promise. What's in the way of the promise? We're getting rid of it tonight. Come on, especially Jericho. We're dealing with it tonight. Come on, turn your neighbor and say, I'm getting rid of Jericho. I'm, a, I'm taking the first step and I'm doing it tonight, especially Jericho. Come on, come on, come on. Do you know what it is? Do you know what that Jericho is? Come on, I've seen you move. You've done it before. You did it for Joshua. You did it for Elijah. God, you can do it for me. You can do it for me. Come on. One last time. I've seen you move. Lift your hands. Nice and quiet. I've seen you move. Lift it up. Come on, sing. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe. I'll see you do it again. You made a way. Come on, 
Like if you guys, because these these people tend to respond when you guys play loud. That's just what happens. It's elevate. Okay, we're gonna have some announcements tonight. You guys excited? We're taking we're taking territory. You know, it's interesting. We we've had several. I know it's a little bit later than normal. You guys don't care, do you? Hey, where are you guys going? Don't leave. Where are you headed? We can stay close. <laughs> This isn't going to take very long. Oh, man, we want everybody here. This is amazing. All right, so check this out. Check this out. This week we've talked about, we've, we've interviewed Pastor Carl. This is a church planting ministry. We've been planting churches since 1987. We've planted, we're probably, our church is probably responsible for, for, for over 100 churches probably. Not all of them are obviously are open today, but there's been a lot of churches planted that started here. And we, we took a step back from that to kind of reevaluate because we noticed that a lot of our churches were struggling, were having trouble staying connected to us and being able to move with us. And we want to partner together. Our value is together together. And so in order to be together together, we gotta be, we gotta be in motion together. We gotta be, we gotta be, we gotta be talking about the same things, doing the same things and, and, and moving in the same direction. And so we took some time to reevaluate and practice and learn. And what we've really, we've really been excited about is what we're seeing that's happening at our North Campus in Whittier. All of a sudden today, they had 93 people in church. 93 people in church. Listen to this. It, it was after COVID, that campus took a hit. It was, the, when, when Pastor Ted and Lana went to that campus, it was like 25, 30 people on a Sunday. And maybe five people on a Wednesday. That's what it was. Today, they had 93 people in church worshiping the Lord. Amazing. We're really excited about that. I had the opportunity to go to Albuquerque. This is another campus. And, and Valentino, I want you to understand, Pastor Valentino, he, he shared on, at the interview, he said, I would have never done that if it wasn't the model that we use. I didn't feel like I could. Ted, he's told me, if we didn't have campus strategy where we work together and we share resources, I wouldn't have done this. There's no way. He didn't feel like he could. He could. Today, he, he knows he could. But, but in the initial stage, he didn't feel qualified. 
And so what we've discovered is that the campus strategy is working. Our campuses are flooring. In Albuquerque, I was at their conference. It was their five-year anniversary. It was so amazing because they just started knocking down five different announcements. The first announcement that they, they gave was that they had a van. They got a brand new van. They drove it here for our conference. That's amazing. They opened a television ministry ministering in New Mexico and in Texas. Like, they beat us to the punch. All right? They announced youth pastors, and they have a youth ministry there that is thriving. It's amazing. They announced that Pastor Valentino was quitting his job and going full-time into the ministry five years later. We never saw that. We never saw that. We've never seen that in church planting like that in five years, full-time. It's amazing. And it's so exciting. So we recognize it's working. This working, this together-together partnership, it's working. And so from the Albuquerque campus, while I was there, their fifth announcement was that Bernard, his wife, and his kids, wonderful, I mean, just a wonderful family. Bernard, come on up here. They, they announced that they were planting him as a campus into Tampa, Florida, cross country. Come on, that's a major step, man. Like, he's already got a job. Like, he's got a job already. He's already got a house. God's, he's been praying and believing God. For, when I was in, in, Me in New Mexico, he was praying right in front of me for the people in Tampa that were going to join his church. Already doing it. And we're believing. I wanna, I wanna, we're going to pray for him tonight. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna call on God. God's going to do great things. What you've sowed, you're going to reap, bro. What you've sowed, you're going to reap. He's been an amazing, amazing disciple in, 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 in Pastor Valentino's church. So exciting. You also heard from Josh and Francia. If you guys, is, Josh, is Francia in here too? Yeah. Is she here? Yeah, can you guys come on up here? I want, I want, and I, I'd like Jaime and, and, and um, Arleta, Arleta. Yeah, that's right. Jaime and Arleta, I want you to come up here too. Now, I love this. I lo can you guys? Yeah, there we go. Come on, come on. You're young. Let's go. Come on. There you go. I met Jaime. This was my tour guide. I went to Culiacan, Sinaloa. I, I went there. <laughs> Jeez, man. I went there. I went there in 2020 for a conference that they were having. Joshua went as my interpreter. We had a great time. We went to the crib, saw the crazy things going on there. Jaime was our tour guide. And several years later, God had, God had done some things in his life where he had no choice but to begin to do ministry with people that he was affecting and in relationship with. He was, he was dating Arleta at the time and he began to communicate back and forth with Josh. They had a relationship, they were friends. And they began to dream about what, what if we could start a church here in Culiacan, Sinaloa, if we could do that. And, and, and Josh, he didn't ask, he never asked. He just said, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. I love that spirit. 
And they started the church, and I, I went to the, I think I was there for the one year anniversary. I think it was the one year anniversary. They had just gotten into a building. It started in a hotel, they just gotten into a building. And so I was expecting, you know, just kind of like the normal startup church, you know, not much. Listen, this was insane. I walk in the door, the place is buzzing with atmosphere. It felt like walking in here tonight. There was people serving everywhere. Chairs were set up. A whole worship team started to play. The people began to worship the Lord. There was 90 people there at their one year anniversary. Check this out. They just had their second anniversary, right? Was it? it that was the first? Okay, well, what did you guys, they just went to two services because they couldn't fit in this building. And now they're talking about they got to go to three services because they can't god's doing something there it's it's amazing the crazy thing and i don't know if you grabbed a hold of this but josh every week has been getting on a plane early in the morning on sunday flying to culiacan sinaloa getting and preaching and then going back home sunday night helping his pa his, his, his parents lead a fellowship of churches He's been doing it on his on his own. Yeah, he was driving a Beamer, now he's got this hoopty. I, I, legit, I saw it in my own eyes. But that's how deep the call, he feels the call. And they've made the decision, and Tuesday, they're gonna drive, they're moving to Culiacan, Sinaloa to, to, to pastor this church full time. Come on, we can do better than that. I know you're happy. Jaime's like, thank you. We've already written a, we've already written a check to Josh and Francie for $5,000 out of this conference to help them with their move. We don't know where that money is really gonna come from yet. We're gonna figure it out. Hopefully you'll help with that. We've already written a check. We've, we're on the hook. We've already committed to $17,000 this year to partner with them to help them reach this community. Listen, I'm gonna tell you this right now. We're gonna prophesy this. Pastor Carl told me this before the service. He said, I believe that congregation will someday be able to sow into us. I believe that. I believe that. The money's there. We know the money's there. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. I mean, the whole mafia is in that city. Let's get some saved. Listen. Imagine a heart for the house with a bunch of mafia dudes coming in. Come on. Okay. All right, enough, enough. So cool. We're so excited for you. We're going to pray for you tonight. We have another announcement tonight. We're, we're not done expanding. Right here from the central campus, uh, very dear, dear friends, partners for a long time, my gym buddy, has made the decision. He feels God's called him and his family to move to Reno, Nevada, to begin an Elevate campus there. I'd like for Danny and Zio, Ariano, come on up here. Listen. Danny and Zio, if you don't know, this isn't their first time. They were planted, how many years ago was that, Danny? 12 years ago. They weren't part of our congregation, uh, but they were part of another congregation. They were sent to the city of Oxnard. 
and, and uh, won some people to Christ. Built a, a, a small little church, but literally had no help. It was a struggle because they had no partnership. And um, they came back, jumped right into the fold here at Elevate Ministry. They've served our body. And um, Danny said, I don't think that's up my call. I don't feel like that's what God wants me to do. And I think he was satisfied to serve here in the local body. And that's what he's done. He's just served and loved and been here and supported. And just recently, God began to just stir his heart in a variety of different things to to lead him to this decision. He feels that God wants, it's time to do it again. It's time to roll the dice and go for it. And that Jericho that they have identified is Reno, Nevada. And I think it's pretty amazing that Elevate Ministries is now operating in California, in New Mexico, in Florida, as far as the United States, and in Nevada. I think it's so amazing that it's it's beginning to spread and there's really no question that God's got a plan to to to, to go even further to go even further and I think I think I think Danny and Zeal understand that we're not they're not going on their own this time that it's together together we're going together we're building a campus we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to instill values and we're going to reach that city for Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Aren't you excited about this? Come on. Come on. I'd love for my parents to come on up here. Pastor Raul Lapita, come on up here. Pastor Ted and Lon. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Part of our board of directors, Joe, if you're part of our pastoral staff, I want you to come on up here. Come on. Everyone get nice and close. Come on. As nice, as close as you can. Let's make room. Come on. Come on, make room. Some of you are like a little bit ticked off because you don't want to see them go. I understand that. But I want you to come. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Come on. We're going to pray. Thank you. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we pray? Let's pray over Mexico. Look, love for Raul. Would you pray, Raul? Would you pray? Yeah, would you pray? Yeah. Padre, yo te pido en este momento, Señor, que tú le des, Señor, las palabras, la habilidad y la inteligencia de cómo tocar, Señor, esa ciudad, mi Cristo Jesús. Que todo muro del enemigo sea derrumbado a través de la unción que tú has plazado en los corazones de estas parejas Señor Levanta esta iglesia que sea una voz que haga la diferencia Señor en ese lugar como nunca antes Padre En el nombre de Jesús esa ciudad ha sido una ciudad que ha sido nombrada en el mundo entero Y ahora te pedimos Señor que tu palabra, tu, el, tu poder Señor sea mostrado en el mundo entero que cosas buenas acontecen de ese lugar porque donde abunda el pecado abunda tu gracia y en este momento Señor declaramos una bendición enorme sobre ese lugar en el nombre maravilloso de nuestro Señor Cristo Jesús usa estas parejas Señora a impartir sus corazones en otros y que el, todo el mundo Señor reconozca lo que tú estás por hacer en ese lugar en el nombre maravilloso de nuestro Señor Cristo Jesús amén en amén Come on, are you excited? Come on. I'm so looking forward to what you guys, what's happening with you guys. I'm so excited. Come on, Pastor Valentino. Let's lift up. 
Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for Pastor Bernard and Apple, God. We pray, God, right now in the name of Jesus, open doors, God. Father, people, God, that don't know you, God, that are far from you, God, that you would use them, God, over there, God, to reach them, God, and to help them, God, and to change their destiny, God. We pray for them right now, God, the people that they don't even know, God, the people they haven't even met, God. God, we pray, God, right now, God, open the doors, God, and we pray for Pastor Bernard, God, in the name of Jesus, an anointing, God, a fresh anointing over him, God, and God, what comes with that, God, is boldness, God, that comes from deep within, God, courage, God, that comes from deep within, God. When it gets hard, God, perseverance, God, that he looks up to you, God. His eyes are on you, God. Strength, God, in the name of Jesus. Fear go in the name of Jesus. And we thank you in advance, God, for what you're going to do, God. You're going to do a mighty work, God. Many churches are going to come out of there, God. Lives transform, God, in the name of Jesus, God. And we thank you, God, that you're going to use this couple, God, in the name of Jesus, in this family, God. Anoint them and we thank you in Jesus' name. Come on, come on. Elevate Tampa. Come on. Don't you like the ring of that? Elevate Tampa. That's awesome. Come on. Pastor Carl. Okay. Amen. God, thank you for Danny and Zio. We love them. We love them. Our heart hurts. Lord, but we're so excited, Lord, about what you're going to do. Lord, the strength that Danny has in the physical, Lord, I pray it would grow much more in the spiritual. Lord, make him a giant in Reno. God, I pray you'd bring him people, Lord, faithful people like he and Zeal. God, draw them to his presence. Lord, use him, God. Lord, as he begins to, to plant, as he begins to walk, I pray, Lord God, as he begins to pray over that city, walk circles around that city, I pray you'd give him the land, God. Bring him disciples, bring him families, bring him resources, Give him, give him, give him uh, buildings, Lord. Provide what's necessary, Lord, so the city can be one. Lord, I pray right now, help him to identify Jericho and take it down in that city so we can see revival in that place. And for that, we'll give you the praise right now over Zeo, God. Right now, an anointing upon her. Lord, we come against any mind battle that's tried to cling to her mind all these years. It's been exorcised tonight. It's been circumcised it's no longer. I pray a spirit of faith would rise. Lord, I pray courage would rise. Lord, that she'd begin to speak. God, use her in tremendous ways. God, we thank you and we praise you for this. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's give God praise. Yes, Lord. Come on. Let's go change our world. What do you say? Let's leave this conference running with him. Let's run out of this place with a message of good news and let's take the world for Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of this gathering. We love you so much. God bless you. Good night.